Hey, Megs, it's season two, episode two. You are chatting with CEO of Big Cartel, Anna, this week. Yes. Oh, my gosh. What an exciting conversation. I mean, CEO, I don't know. Will I ever have a title, CEO? I don't know. It seems like the ultimate, like, grown-up job that just, just, like, so unattainable, which sounds insane to say as both of us are grown-ups. But it, to me, if, if someone's like, I'm a CEO, I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, seriously. I don't know. Grown-up. Kyle seems to think I'll be a CEO one day, but... Oh God, yeah, I wouldn't put it past you. You got this, but it just <sighs> seems... It's like if someone I know my age is a doctor and you're just like, oh my God, and CEO is the same thing in my mind. It's like, wow. And she actually talks about that being at this level in her career where she's essentially, you know, the top of her game. Like she says, you know, the buck stops with her. She's at that point where there's no one, people are coming to her. She's running it and what that is like. Yeah. She's like the last line of defense. If yeah. Shit hits the fan. Um, there was this thing that she said that really resonated with me where she talked about her, the most important thing about her job is to empower those people that know better than her. And that was so nice to hear. And I'd love to see what that's like, what that's like, like to experience that as somebody working in a company with a leader who thinks in that way. I feel like I've definitely observed, uh, leaders in my career not operating in that way like they're the ones that think they know the best and they don't allow people kind of with their skill sets to perform like optimally because of maybe their own ego or whatnot I I sort of I'm really curious to to understand how the people at Big Cartel feel with a leader like that and what their culture is like you know how do people and it's interesting having a female CEO, she's also a mother, uh, and you also talk to her about uh, some health issues that she had that then in turn she's sort of used to change the way that, you know, the people in her company operate with a work-life balance. So it all sort of circles back into, you know, what you were just saying, but it's also a fascinating health discussion. You know, things can change in an instant. Yeah. I mean, that's the craziest part. Like. And it's so eye-opening to think that you can be perfectly healthy and then something happens and triggers something, you know, the way you deal with your health or the way you see your health, like drastically changes. And I think if you don't, if you haven't experienced that, which I haven't, it's terrifying to think. Touching like, wood. Oh, touching wood right now. <laughs> touching wood. <Yeah. laughs> like, yeah, touch wood, Max. But yeah, totally. It's... Oh, it makes you want to go down a WebMD spiral, but do not do that. I'm going to do the worst segue ever, but you know, here we go. We've got actually a really exciting health-based sponsor today, and that is Ritual Vitamins. Uh, they're a super amazing vitamin subscription service for women. And I mean, we've talked about this in the past, how they're the only thing that I can take without, you know, being sick afterwards because my stomach and multivitamins do not work. Uh, But these ones are amazing. And what I've been learning the more I take them is how transparent they are as a company, but also in how they're made. Oh, yeah. This is really fascinating. As somebody who works um, as a designer, a digital designer, you know, have worked with products as well. I'm just looking at their bottle right now. And it's transparent. um, The capsules themselves are transparent. And as I was talking to one of the ritual reps, she was informing me that it's all part of their sort of um, company ethos around 
being transparent, transparent in terms of the process of how they make the vitamins. Um, and it's reflected in their products. Like the actual physical product is transparent. You can see exactly what's in there. And it's so funny because when I first got the bottle, I was like, this is beautiful. Like great design. I love great design. Um, the website's so nice. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I'm a sucker for that. You got a nice design. I'll, I'll buy whatever you're selling. But then hearing about that, that idea of what transparency means, um, really kind of made me, I don't know, engage with them even more. Just being like, this is awesome. They've really thought about this. Uh, and I do appreciate transparency. Yeah, there's nine nutrients. Nothing else is in there. The most exciting one for me living in Copenhagen right now is uh, vitamin D3, which I'm going to need to take because it is oppressively dark here in the winter. And so the fact that I don't have to change my vitamins up, I can just keep taking Ritual and that will cover me through the dark, dark days that are to come. Um, (laughs) So I highly recommend it. It's delivered to your door. Super easy. Uh, You know, it doesn't happen overnight, but start taking these vitamins now and we've got a a special offer for bird listeners uh you can get 10 percent off your first three months if you just visit ritual.com forward slash bird and start your subscription today so exciting everybody head over to ritual.com slash bird And I guess how I wanted to start was, what's your spiel if somebody comes up to you at a party or something and is like, hey, yeah, so what do you, who are you kind of thing? What do you say? Uh, You know, I mostly try to avoid that I'm a CEO, which is, I don't know if that's like imposter syndrome or um, modesty or I don't know. I feel really weird about it. So normally I just tell people like, oh, I work in tech. Um, and then they'll sort of pry sometimes if they are really interested, like, oh, what do you do? And then I talk more about what Big Cartel does and less about what I do. And then when someone really pries, I buckle and tell them that I'm the CEO. Um, (laughs) unless it's someone at a party who is, you know, maybe rubbing me the wrong way. And at that point I'm like, oh, I'm the CEO of a software company. (laughs) I just wear it loud and proud. Um, But yeah, most of the time I try to avoid it, which is, you know, strange. Cause I feel like if it was like my best friend, I would be like, this girl's the CEO of a software company. Let's talk about it. Yeah, seriously. But thankfully I usually have friends at those parties that do that for me. (laughs) Or you just always bring one with you. So yeah. Yeah, that's what friends are for, right? (laughs) Your cheering section. Exactly. So why why the embarrassment of CEO? Um, You know, I think it's still really new to me. I've only been in the position a year. um, And I'm getting more comfortable with it, for sure. But I think... um, I don't know, like I get like flushed when I like start talking about it. I think it's just... um, I think because there's maybe like a little bit of a misunderstanding or even there's like an ominous nature to the role itself, right? Like most people work at a company with a CEO and if they work for a larger organization, there's a good chance that they've like never interacted with their CEO. And so there's like a real power dynamic there and a real, um, you know, 
it's almost like a, a, a difference in class. And I certainly don't feel that. My company is, you know, 36 people. I know everybody and their loved ones. Um, so it's a much different environment. So to say it, I feel like I'm like, oh, I'm like a Mark Zuckerberg, but I'm definitely not. Like, I'm like the same Anna that like ran a little record shop, like, um, with two employees, you know? So it feels like the record shop to me, but I feel like when you say the word CEO, it projects something bigger than what it feels like. And that makes me uncomfortable. Sure. Yeah. That's so funny. You say that because I was thinking about it, um, before we started talking and I was like, yeah, CEO is something that feels really out of reach. Yeah. And it's not like, I don't know anybody who's been like, yeah, I want to be a CEO one day. <laughs> totally. I know. I, lo- I mean, and I feel really fortunate because now my eight-year-old daughter says that and I love it. Like, it's the greatest thing in the world for her to be like, they play downstairs. I have an eight-year-old and a three-year-old and I'll catch them playing and like they have little critters and she'll be like, well, this one's the mom and this one's the CEO and she's a mom too. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, I love that. That's, That's so, so nice. But yeah, it was definitely nothing that like I ever aspired to. Like I never like had it in my, you know, dream journal or anything. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have a dream journal. Oh my, I was but... just going to say, let's tap into that dream journal. What's in there? <laughs> the um, hypothetical dream journal. Yeah. <laughs> so then I guess what is CEO? Is CEO just like the boss? Is that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, um, feels, that feels like laborious though. The boss. <laughs> It's, it is, it's intense. It's, um, it's like the buck stops here, right? Like someone has to take, um, the ownership and the blame and the successes and the failures. And so it's really just like a lot on your shoulders. I think it's more than I realized, um, which is interesting. Cause I, so I came into the role from like an operations director, which I think at a more traditional, like C-level company would be, um, like a COO. Um, and, and so I was helping the CEO at the time already with like strategic decisions and running the day-to-day operations of the company. Um, so I had a lot of the responsibility and insight already, but that just small shift to being where the buck stops is it's an intense one. And I don't think I quite appreciated the, um, the amount of emotional labor that goes into it, you know, and I think running an ethical company or company that you want to be, you know, as ethical as possible. And you have, I consider my team, you know, stakeholders, like I want them to be proud of where they work and I want them to feel like they have a voice at where they work. And so uh, I think to run a good company, it requires a lot of like emotional labor too. And um, yeah, so it's been a really interesting eye-opening experience to things that I wasn't quite expecting, um, but have been, you know, really educational and, and super interesting. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm thinking about that where you said the buck stops here and I guess, yeah, at, at the end of the day, somebody has to make that call. So is that, I guess what you're explaining is that the feeling of, well, I don't know if it's right or wrong, but I have to decide. Yeah. And it's, um, and there's always just so much unknown. And I think for me, 
I really try, I mean, and I know this is maybe cliche. I feel like I've read it in numerous places, like hire people that are smarter than you. And I feel like I've done that. Um, or I've already, you know, I inherited a team of people that were smarter than me, especially in their given specialties. Um, and so I put a lot of trust in them. And I think my leadership is really like collaborative and it's like, how can I help you? let's work through these decisions together. And then they sort of have the final call on, you know, their individual decisions for the team. Um, and that's a, that's a big weight to take. Like I'm putting a lot of faith in them and I have a lot of faith in them, but then I have to just sort of sit back and sort of just like let go and have a lot of trust. Um, and that's hard, you know, cause I think the type of, you know, the A type personality that becomes a CEO, sometimes the letting go is the hardest part, I think. But yeah, cause I'm used to sort of being like, I can make decisions, I'm in control. And I certainly feel like I help them do those things. Um, but I feel like my most important job is to really like empower the people who know better than me and help them come to the best decisions and then just trust at that point. Yeah. So what was the, what was the sort of thing that made you go, yeah, I, I'm going to do it. I'm going to be the CEO. <laughs> um, I don't know. I made it in a really snap decision. Uh, <laughs> I was asked that my, the co-founders of Big Cartel invited me to lunch at our company holiday party. So everyone at the holiday party, then you'd get a loved one and you fly to Salt Lake and we spend a weekend at the Sundance Mountain Resort. And <clears throat> I get a text message that's like, hey, do you want to come to lunch with me and Eric? And I was like, okay, this is weird. Like I shouldn't be having like lunch with the bosses at the holiday party. Um, like a private, like, like not our plus ones, you know? Um, so I met them for lunch and they were just like, we've been talking about this a while and, you know, we're ready to step back from big cartel and we want you to take over as CEO. And I think I laughed at first. Like I thought it was a joke because there'd always been jokes in our leadership team about like Anna having a coup to take over, which I didn't. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, and it just like, they've owned the company forever. They still own it to this day. No one ever imagined a big cartel without the two of them, like in the day to day, especially me. Um, and so I laughed for a minute and then they were like, nope, we're serious. And I, I just said, yes. Like, oh. I don't even think I really thought about it. Wow. And they even said like, do you want to think about it? <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, but I knew, I think I knew that. If they weren't going to, if they were going to step back, um, I didn't want anyone else to do it. Not that there wasn't, not like anyone else at the company, but I think I was the most, um, I was in line for it. Like I made, I was the one that made the most sense, no doubt, to take over. Um, but I wasn't, you know, if it wasn't me, were they going to hire someone from the outside? Um, they wouldn't have. It turns out I learned that later. But <laughs> <laughs> um but I think I was just like, yeah, I mean, I make the most sense. So if they're not going to do it, then I just should step up and do it. And I felt confident. Like, I was like, I know I've been doing all these things alongside Matt and helping Matt for years. So I felt like I could. Um, so I just said, yeah, and took the leap. That's amazing. Why not? Yeah. It made me think when you just sort of responded, yes, that was sort of like your body knowing that this was the right thing to do. Yeah it felt weirdly like the right thing to do. There was still like a lot of anxiety and I'm sure I was flushed and like my heart was racing. Um, 
But yeah, it just was like, I'm not going to say no to that. Right. It must have been really surreal as well. So it it is interesting. And I want to go back to that moment when you said yes um, and just responding to that. And it ties in with the essay that you wrote online around um, the the thyroid um, condition that you're suffering with. And it's just really interesting to me. And I'm wondering whether there's any connection to your experience with that um, and becoming more in tune with your body because of it. So for the people listening, maybe just do a little bit of a rewind because it wasn't that long before this moment that you oh, were having Oh, I was in the throes issues. of it. <laughs> yeah. So what, what was going on? Yeah. So around September 2018, I started noticing weird things in my body. Um, the first major thing was that my hand was very shaky. Um, or both hands would occasionally get pretty shaky. Like, you know, I type all day and I'm at a mouse. And so I was just noticing it was strange. And I thought like, oh, it's too much coffee or I didn't get enough sleep last night. Um, and, but it just sort of continued. Um, it was one of those things where you start Googling and you're like, do I have MS? Like, do I have Parkinson's? Like, I don't think I have these things. Um, and then I just, it just became like an onslaught of really strange symptoms. My body temperature rose. I would get hot really easily. It was like the fall in Chicago. Um, so we would get, you know, evenings that were in the thirties or forties and I'd have like windows open and just like in a tank top sweating at the window. Um, I would get really angry very quickly. I would go from like zero to 10 at my kids and my husband, which is pretty rare. Like I, I'm not an angry person. Um, but I, the smallest things would just make me snap, um, which was weird. And I kind of equated that to like being really hot (laughs) and really tired. I was tired all of the time. I was hungry all of the time. I was eating like ravenously. Like I would wake up at 4am, 3am and just have to eat, um, which was super weird. And then I think the real kicker was that I was doing all of this and then I like immediately overnight lost like 20 pounds, which is super strange. Like I'm a woman, I'm in almost 40, like we shouldn't just be losing 20 pounds really quickly. Um, And at that point it was around Thanksgiving and my mom had come to visit and she was like, "Uh, yeah, you've lost a ton of weight. Like what is going on? And so I told her everything I was experiencing And she was like, that's really weird. Those symptoms sound like mine, except I gain weight. And I was like, what are you talking about? She's like, well, I have a, um, I have Hashimoto's disease, which is, um, an underactive thyroid. And she's like, you know, I have fatigue. I have the hunger. I have all of these things that you're describing, except with Hashimoto's you gain weight and you've clearly not done that. And so I was like, well, I wonder if there's something that's like the opposite of Hashimoto's. And so that's what I Googled. I typed it into my phone, like opposite of Hashimoto's. And it was like Graves disease. And so I read every symptom to my husband and he was like, oh, you have to go to the doctor. Like you have that. And I was like, I know, right? Like I had every single thing that you go down the list of Graves disease. So I did, I went to the doctor, um, as soon as I could. And she did a blood panel. And sure enough, like the next day was like, I've never seen a thyroid this hyperactive. Like you need to go to an endocrinologist ASAP. Your numbers are like off the charts. Um, and, and so I did, I went to the, I, I scheduled with the endocrinologist. And at this time I was like, 
I should rewind a minute before Thanksgiving, before I sort of had this realization, it got to the point where I had to take off of work. Like I had, uh, I was losing my brain power ultimately. Um, like the weight loss was a big thing, but I think the scariest thing was not being able to keep a train of thought. I'm a super organized person. Um, but if I wasn't like writing every single thing down, it was like in one ear out the other. I was forgetting people's names. And this is the point where I really was like, oh crap, I do have like Parkinson's because my grandpa had like a form of dementia that's similar to Parkinson's. And I was like, oh, do I have like early onset, you know, oh this, um, so Did this you is just know like, your mom had Hashimoto's? I didn't know that. Oh, wow. I knew she had, like, been tested at some point, um, but her results had come back negative, and I never realized she went back and they can't, had come back positive. Um, but, yeah, so when I lost the brain power, that was terrifying to me. Like, I was like, this is my job. This is my lifeline. This is my sanity. Um, so, thankfully, you know, I had emailed my boss, Matt, at the, our CEO at the time, and was told him what was going on and was like, I just need time. I don't know. I'm going to say like two weeks right now, but like, it may be longer. I need to figure out what's happening to my body. I have a doctor's appointment, like I'll, or I'll make a doctor's appointment. And this was like all right around Thanksgiving. Um, and he gave me the time off. Sure. Like get healthy, do what you need to do. So that's happening all at the same time. I get the diagnosis. Um, and then I slept for like the rest of the two weeks of my time off because my body was just exhausted. Um, it basically, like one of the symptoms is your heart is constantly racing. So you're that's like what causes the fatigue. And it's right. actually what causes and the weight loss, I guess. And the weight loss. And the it's what's dangerous about a hyperactive thyroid versus an underactive thyroid. Um, the hyperactive, there's a lot more that can go wrong because of your heart. Um, so my heart's like racing all of the time and it's just like running a marathon 24 hours a day. Um, so I just started at that point, just really listening to my body. So I would rest when I needed to rest and I would eat it's, you know, before I felt really hungry. Um, and as I was doing those things, it helped, um, curbed like some of the symptoms like if I wasn't hungry and I wasn't tired and I wasn't burning up hot I would not get as angry or I would not feel as shaky or dizzy um but it also wasn't like a long-term solution like I couldn't just live in my bed you know I can't just like sleep eight hours a day and call it good um I'm not a real housewife um as if they do that um <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I, I, I realized, you know, I needed to manage the symptoms, but that, you know, ultimately medication was what I really needed. And, um, unfortunately, like the way the healthcare system works in the U S was like, I had to see an endocrinologist who my insurance accepted, but those appointments were like eight weeks out. So from, so it was basically from Thanksgiving weekend until like the end of December, maybe even January. I feel like it might've been January was when I was able to get an appointment with my endocrinologist. So between that time, I'm like not medicated. Um, I know I have a thing that I have to like just sort of manage on my own. Um, I was given a really small dose of an antithyroid, um, but 
even the medicine itself takes six weeks to even begin to kick in because your thyroid like stores up hormones um, and it takes six weeks to release them, sometimes longer. So, so yeah, I was at this holiday party being offered this job and like, I probably wasn't in my best frame of mind. <laughs> oh, now we know what happened. Yeah, that's why I was story. like, yes, my heart's racing. Okay, sure, let's do it. Um, <laughs> but I think also I was like, I think that's why I talk so much about feeling flushed or like, I was very aware of like what my body was feeling, um, and definitely went back and took a nap after that conversation with those guys. Uh, uh, yeah, because I do, I have to pay, I pay attention to everything now. Like any little handshake or if I feel tired at a time that I I don't normally or hungry, like all of those things like perk little, little red flags in my brain. Mm. That's an incredible story and I'm <laughs> slightly terrified by it. <laughs> Aging is so weird. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, like, that's one of the things I'm thinking as I'm hearing is, is like, you're just living your life, and then, yeah. like, it so dr- drastically changes. Yeah. And that's crazy. It's so strange, and I don't, I don't know... There's, I don't know what I believe, honestly, but there... I see... Um, I see a massage therapist fairly regularly um, as part of my self-care and she does like energy work stuff. And, and, you know, I don't know how much I, I buy into that. I enjoy it certainly. Um, but when I had talked to her about it, my thyroid, cause she has a, she has Hashimoto's. Um, she had said, I wonder, you know, was there anything in your life that sort of might've triggered it? Like a stressor that had happened, you know, before September, because it it was really strange. I had gone to the doctor in July of 2018 for like an annual checkup. And at that time they do like blood panels on you. Cause I was, you know, 37, 38. And that's a pretty normal thing to like run blood tests at that point. And everything came back normal. So they would have checked my thyroid levels in July. Um, but also in July, it was in June. So it feels like the timing is maybe off, but my youngest daughter had been diagnosed with a bunch of food allergies. And in June at our house had actually been exposed to something and we had to give her the EpiPen and take her to the ER. And I was just like, um, I remember that summer just being very like high stress, you know, cause you're constantly living in fear of like what your little baby is encountering. I guess I say three, she was not three at the time. She would have been about a year and a half. Um, so it was terrifying, but I was like, is that it? Like, did that stressor trigger this change in my body or is it just age or is it just genetics because my mom has Hashimoto's um and so many factors so many factors and I remember telling my husband like crying about it I was so emotional oh my gosh so many emotions it's just like hormones flooding my body constantly um but I was just like it's so hard to be a woman we have so much to deal with (laughs) Because, like, this stuff, you know, it's just super common. Like, I would tell, you know, moms on the walk to school, like, oh, yeah, I got this thing. And they're like, yeah, me too. (laughs) Why do we have this? It's so crazy. Yeah, it is one of those things that actually when I think about it, I know quite a lot of people with autoimmune diseases. And and it isn't something that I think is, like, publicly spoken about. But there is this sort of general knowledge of it. 
that it exists. Yeah. Yeah. And people have it. But I feel like they're mostly women in my yes. world. Yeah. I mean, in my world too. Oh, so I guess my question is where you are today based on that. Um, you know, I don't know. What, what's your takeaway from it, um, from that experience, from having Graves' disease? Um, and how has it changed how you look at life? So I, I'm in a good spot right now. I've been medicated and a lot of the medicating is like just trial and error with dosing just to get your numbers like within the right range. And so I've been on a good dose for probably about six months now. Um, but even before when my dosing was still up and down, I felt tremendously better once the medicine started kicking in, once the antithyroid came in. Um, so it felt like my life was like back in control, which was amazing. Um, the perspective it gave me, I think was really just, and it like the value of my brain power. Um, like I was so terrified. I just really remember being so scared in that moment of what if my brain goes like, what if this is my future, you know, like, and that's, it was just, it was terrifying. I, I don't want to ever think that again. So it's really just appreciate. And I know it can go like, I do know dementia runs in my family. Um, and so really just valuing the time that I have with my kids and my husband, um, trying to do good in the world, you know, like I run a company where software, it's not, you know, gonna, you know, it's not like a nonprofit cleaning the water in Flint, Michigan or anything, but, um, leading by example there and trying to give people a great job that they can come to work and be proud of and go home and not be stressed about it. Um, and to be proud of the company that we're building and, and saying that we're trying to do the best we can with the tools that we have. And it's really given me a new, um, a deeper respect for the relationship with my mom there too, because I know like the dementia is on her side too. So I'm like, well, her brain power can go too. And she is aging and she has the Hashimoto's and like just really seeing like some of the struggles that she's been through, through my own lens. And then also really wanting to value that relationship while it's here, realizing that, you know, life is short and like we, even if it's long, we might not have the cognitive ability that we have today. And so just really trying to value that sort of stuff. Um, that's been the biggest eye opener, I think, from that experience, because that was terrifying. Yeah, it's really interesting because you've mentioned so many factors to life that sort of come to the forefront. And I think, you know, we do get very sort of tunnel visioned in our work and kind of where we're going. Um, and you kind of realize there is this like ecosystem around us that is constantly influencing other things and we're being influenced by it. Um, and yeah, I, that's just something that's been on my mind a lot lately. And I just want to share something today. I felt like I had a bit of an existential, it wasn't a crisis, but it was this weird moment when I was standing on the street and there was this woman who was like painting something on the street and like people shopping. And I just felt really removed from them all. Um, it was like I was watching a movie, you know, and, and I don't know what it was and I don't know why it was happening. Um, 
and maybe because there's just kind of been a lot on my mind lately around like what do I want to do with my life like how do I want to spend my time in, in a way that is valuable um and helping people so maybe it, it maybe it's a bit of that but yeah just remember kind of feeling and it, and it when you were talking it made me think about these different di- dimensions in life that are outside of us and we can be really small or we could be the center of it all and I don't know where I'm going with that but I just, it just kind of, um, what you're saying reflected kind of what I was feeling today. And I'm just curious to think, to know, so how do you balance that now moving forward? Like what is your day to day when, when all of that other stuff is kind of more equal rather than maybe stuff in the background or the foreground? Um, well, I mean, my day to day is, is I try to keep it balanced and I try to, um, and I also try to just enjoy it. You know, like I think that that's a big part of it. And I'm grateful to have a job that I can do those things where I can like one, take care of myself. So I do, um, I, I love a nap and I no longer deny myself the nap. I mean, I, we work from home. It's a super flexible job for anybody. Anybody on my team can go take a nap if and when they need. Um, but I think there's always like an underlying like guilt to that. Like, Oh, but like I shouldn't, it's noon or whatever, or I'll do it on my lunch or something. But no, like I'll just, if I'm feeling it, like I'll go take a walk or I'll take a nap or I'll take a bath. And I recognize that those are parts of, um, the whole, the whole human, you know, like I have to take care of myself as a whole human to be the best employee, to be the best employer, to be a good leader. All of those things are part of like the whole body. And so taking care of yourself holistically like that is really important to me now. And so it's a part of my day to day is making sure that I'm taken care of because then I'm present for my work. I'm present for my husband and my kids. And those things are are the main three things that sort of run are repeating regularly in my life. That's really great advice, actually, because I find that a common narrative for me is just something in the back of my head saying, oh, you're, you're not being productive. Yeah, totally. And that's a real it's struggle. Important. Yeah. Oh, my gosh, it really is. And I relate to that so much. But I think after the Graves disease, especially, I just permitted myself to to do those things. And it's brought more joy to my life. And I think more efficiency, like I if I. I'm the type of person, I know not everybody is, that wakes up refreshed from a nap. I know people like my husband wake, like wakes up from a nap and is groggy and crabby, but that's not me. Like, you give me the proper nap um, and I wake up feeling refreshed and I can, like, knock out work, you know, like it's nothing at that point. Um, and I think it's also, I read a book um, this summer before going on a six-week sabbatical for, from work uh, called Rest. And it talks a lot about just like giving your brain rest and like how that fuels creativity. And so I think that that helps too. I think that really resonated with me. And so I, I welcome taking time away from a problem at work um, to to give my brain that rest. And I just trust that like when I sort of get that inkling, whether it's like, oh, a bath would be nice or a walk would be nice, that it's it's not just like me not trying to avoid, it's not me trying to avoid productivity, but it's my body or my brain telling me like, hey, we need a break from this. Like 
go chill and we'll come back to it later. And I find that that's always, that's been super helpful over the last year. Um, I feel like I'm taking care of myself better and I feel like I'm my most helpful and creative work self. Firstly, I need to read that book. Yeah, it's great. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But yeah, you just made me think there's this fine line between being productive and being, I don't know, neurotic or anxious. Um, And I think anxiety can be masked by thinking you're being productive. Big time. Yeah. Yeah. It is, I I suffer from anxiety and there are times, I mean, I do, I still, I'm not going to say any of this is a breeze there. I still struggle with the inner narrative of like, oh, I'm not being productive, but I still default, I think because of the Graves disease, like, no, Anna, you like need to lay down right now. Like, just do it. Um, But I struggle with it and I, I have to like justify it to myself sometimes. Like, it's okay to just sit in bed with my eyes closed and listen to podcasts because... Um, not only am I getting the rest I need, you know, podcasts, you know, can offer, you know, a a break from reality for your brain, but also they're educational, they're informative. Um, they're helping me keep a pulse on, you know, cultural interests. Um, same with something like visiting a museum or watching a performance or, you know, I think all of those things feel maybe luxurious and they certainly are can be but they're also good for us you know it's good for your brain it's good to get out in the world and experience art and culture and um, different perspectives via things like podcasts and interviews and books and so I really feel like it's part of being a good person but also being a good employee like I think you know that sort of growth um, intellectually is important and and so allowing myself and my team the time and space to do those things, I think, is really valuable and something that is still hard. Still, there are moments of like, ooh, but but I think when you look at it from that perspective of like, it's not a selfish act necessarily. It might feel like it because it feels good, but it's also because I'm growing myself. And that's an important part of being a better mom, a better employee, a better spouse, better friend. Yeah, it's also really interesting to hear you say that feeling like I'm not being productive when you have the evidence before you that you are clearly very productive. Otherwise, you (laughs) wouldn't be the CEO. Um, And to, I mean, just to be able to like resonate with that and be like, okay, there, there is no sort of end point of like, oh, once I get to CEO, you know, I'm done. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And the CEO role is so strange. Um, And I think in the, I mean, maybe this is obvious to everyone else and it just wasn't to me, Um, but I don't think it is. Um, It's so much, for me at least, my experience with it is it's all, it's so much in my head. Like there is so much of my day that is just spent thinking. And that's weird, you know, like you don't, how do you check that off of a list of things that show how productive you are? And maybe that's why, this has been the theme of this conversation (laughs) or part of it is that, um, the whole job itself is like, you know, everyone else who works for me has like, okay, I need to ship this code or I need to, you know, answer this support ticket or do this work. And for me, so much of it is observing the work, um, absorbing it and then contemplating it, thinking about, 
you know, what it looks like from a user, what it looks like uh, from five years from now, what it looks like um, on the books. I, there's just, and then like, there's just so much thought involved. It's, it was really kind of mind blowing the amount of time I just sort of sit and think and then have to try and um, take that and make it into something that is productive for everyone else. Well, it sounds like it's a, a problem solving role. Yeah, big time. Right. So, yeah, I mean, the, there is an output. <laughs> yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. But it's the it's how you get to the output that isn't you can't like show it in a sketch or yeah yeah <laughs> and I'm not even necessarily the one doing the output like it's like a strategic position in that sense too where I might if there's a problem I'm solving and I'm like okay here I finally see it is the solution a lot of that's like me having a conversation then with one of my directors or all of them together and and then sort of handing the actual action or doing off to them and so that's also strange to like spend so much time trying to solve for a thing or think about a thing and then like hand the actual like work off to others um and again then like sort of let go like I have faith we've sort of talked about what we want to achieve here and now it's up to you to do your best work right and there's also that element of translation so they kind of take what you've said and translate it into how they how they interpret it I guess yeah it's super interesting so I, I want to start wrapping up and there are kind of two things I wanted to end with and one is, um, is there a piece of advice that you would give to somebody or perhaps um, somebody you've come by in your life that has stuck with you and something you'd like to share? Oh, wow. I feel like people who give advice have far more experience in the world than me. <laughs> <laughs> I feel underqualified to offer advice. <laughs> Maybe I should rephrase it then, just a nugget, a nugget of wisdom or something. A nugget of wisdom. You know, I think if I had anything to offer, I mean, I think just like holistically, it's, it's, it's to be a kind person and a critical thinker. Like if there's one thing I wish for my children, it's that they have empathy and that they have critical thought. And I feel like those two things in the world can go such a long way. Um, and I think that in some instances we're seeing how we've, we're lacking that in the world, especially in politics um, and how we treat one another. But I think, yeah, kindness and empathy, if everyone sort of adopted that a little bit more, it would, it would make the world a better place. Definitely. Uh, the critical thinking, we could have a whole yeah. podcast just on that. <laughs> it, it sometimes blows my mind how how quickly I'll respond to something without critically thinking about it. And yeah, yeah it's terrifying. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know if you have children, but having an eight-year-old certainly forces your hand on that because she asks questions like, well, why? And you have to have a response. It can't just be like a snap judgment. Like we try to be really clear, like, well, why do I feel that way? Why do I believe this? Um, and backing it up and showing, and 
showing with like facts. I remember in high school, like hating that you had to show cite your sources. I remember being like, why do I need to cite sources? This is so dumb. Or why do I need more than one source? I remember yeah. being so frustrated with that <laughs> in high school as I'm writing a paper and it's like, well, the encyclopedia says yeah, this. Exactly. Why? I'm like, it's all in the encyclopedia. <laughs> yeah. Why do I need a second source? And now I'm like, oh, did they stop teaching this? Like, what happened to our world? Oh, my God, because now people are just going to Wikipedia and thinking it's real. It's, this is the facts. And, like, some of it is, sure, but, like, look at the sources. Yeah. Find more than one. Yeah. yeah, I find myself telling my 8-year-old that all the time. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm doing my master's right now, so I've had to really engage in, like, research papers and yes. stuff. And yeah, again, just like reading something and being like, oh, wow. Oh, yeah, that totally makes sense. Uh, yeah, I agree with that. And then reading another paper that just like says that one is totally wrong. And you're just yes. like, oh, my God. Yeah, this is like totally right. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, wow. There's, I know. Yeah. And then I just, you know, like in recent history learned that some of those scientific papers are even like funded. Like who's funding the scientific right. paper? Uh, you have to look at uh, like. Did Kraft Macaroni, like, fund the paper that tells you that mac and cheese is the key to long life? Like, maybe. Exactly. Oh, there are, like, ten people in the study, and now we're just making this generalization. Yeah, Yeah, all from, like, the same community. Like, they're all, like, middle-aged white men are in this study. Like, it applies to everybody. Exactly. Exactly. Um, So then, I guess the last thing is, what's new for you ahead? Like, is there a new focus for you? Is there something you want to try, something you want to do? What's kind of on your mind looking ahead? Um, You know, I think in, in... In work, um, you know, we're trying to be really balanced. I feel like balance is maybe the key there for everything, for life and work. Um, But the way we're approaching projects and the way we're approaching what we're building, we're trying to come at it from a place of balance. Like, what do we need legally to be compliant as a business? What do we need to keep our current customers happy? And then what do we need to be ahead, you know, three, four, five years down the road? Um, And then I think the same goes at home, too, just really always trying to find balance. Um, I'm um, always trying to to give myself a little bit of space between like the end of my work day, which is ends at home and then immediately going to pick my kids up from school or aftercare. Um, because I don't have a commute, you know, and I feel like a lot of adults have like a commute to sort of like unwind or let their brains sort of like reset. And so I try to like give myself that time. Um, I try to make sure this year, especially that my family is taking time off together quarterly, Mm. which is like maybe too organized or nerdy, but like Q1, we're going here. (laughs) Q1 Disney world or something. (laughs) But it is like, I feel like we sort of last year, like sort of dumped all of our time together into the summer, which was amazing and fun, but left the rest of the year feeling hectic and um, hard to find those spaces of like rest as a family unit. And so really trying to balance sort of that time and be really smart about the the space that we're taking and, and the space we're taking together and when we're doing that. Yeah, I think those are my those are my main things. Is that, that specific? Good. Is that like so broad and vague? I'm sorry. Yeah, that's great. Broad and vague. Okay. Not holding you to anything. Okay, Anna, take four vacations quarterly. Yeah. Well, wishing you all the best for that. Thank you so much for Thank being a you. part of this. Oh my gosh, this was lovely. Thank you for having me.